Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined tonight by Cousin Isaac. Isaac, the case can be made that Minnesota has been the epicenter of the sports universe over the last month. As you know, Towns won the three-point contest at the NBA All-Star Game back in February. Then he went on a few weeks later to score 60 points. The Wolves, of course, are now 12 games over 500 for the first time since 2018. And we are vying for the sixth seed in the Western Conference playoffs, hopefully to avoid the play-in tournament. Yeah, I mean, that feels kind of good, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to, to like... It's kind of hard to believe that, like, this is this is Minnesota, right? Yeah, and throw on top of it, like, suddenly we're, we're New York City, we're L.A., we're Miami. Everybody <laughs> wants to play in Minnesota. The Vikings, of course, signed... Um, Zadaria Smith, the pass rusher, the Wild traded for Marc-Andre Fleury, um, who last year was voted the best goaltender in all of NHL. And Might I say beat the Wild single-handedly in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't forget that the Twins also signed star shortstop Carlos Correa. Um, mm-hmm. And last but not least, Isaac, the Vikings extended Kirk Cousins. Hey, we kept the man. Oh, geez, why? <laughs> so, what do you what do you make of all of this? What do you make of all these transactions? I'm going to well, ignore the Kirk Cousins piece. I think uh, we can move on from that, right? Or, or is that you know? Do we need to cover that? I'm I'm good with moving on from Kirk Cousins in general as a player of the <laughs> Minnesota Vikings, but that's not on today's pot. Vikings yeah. are not in the lineup today. Yeah, let's uh let's let's keep it going from there. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're like trying to somewhat address our defense with the Vikings. Um now I think we still need a lot of defensive back help, but uh we'll we'll just we'll just kind of put that on the back seat for now. Um I mean, yeah, it's Zadarius Smith. I mean, if anything, you know, we're at least keeping him away from the Packers and not having to worry about that. I mean, I know they cut him, but like it's nice to see him not trying to go after, you know, Kirk the statue. So um, that that's a great thing. Um, now, he is coming off back surgery, which you and I have gone back and forth about this. So um, his last two healthy seasons, which obviously wasn't last year, but the two years previously, he had over 12 sacks. So if you think you're pairing him with hopefully a Daniil Hunter, you know, okay, now they're both injury prone, so that's not good. But just think if both of these guys are, are healthy, that's pretty scary, wouldn't you say? If they're both at the top of their games, I think that's one of the most formidable pass rushes in the NFL. Um, I think, though, that I think NFL is the NFL is a, is a young man's game, and yeah. you know, once guys have gone through, especially you know, like as a pass rusher, what are your most important skills to get to the quarterback or to stop the run? Um, well, if you're a, pass rusher it's your quickness it's your power it's your footwork and you know your back is in the middle of all of that and so if he's the guy he was for those last two healthy seasons in green bay like this is a steal three years 42 million um and he turned down four years 35 million with the ravens and it you know i looked at the contract yesterday um and studied it and it's really incentive laden Talk about yep. a guy betting on himself. It reminds me a lot of uh, Byron Buxton's contra- contract. Just mm-hmm. the amount that he could potentially be paid. Simply, you know, how much of that money is tied to him showing up and playing football games. 
Right. Yeah, which is good when you have a guy who's, you know, just missed a ton of games last year. Um, but the point I like the most, which I, I have to say this, is, um, I mean, the Packers are paying them more money this year than the Vikings. How great is that, you know? Well, maybe we can take that money that the Packers are paying him that we're saving and pay somebody else to pay Kirk Cousins half of his contract. <laughs> I'd be game for that, but uh, I thought we weren't going to talk about that one. So, uh, well, you we know, the Vi- okay. So, um, so Flurry, like this has been one of the best teams in the NHL all season, and you can make the case that despite two guys that. In the past, you know, for the wild um, net minding that we've talked about as guys that we thought were both pretty good in in, in um, Talbot and Kakinen, we ship Kakinen out of town and we bring in a guy that has uh, won a few trophies and on multiple occasions has been voted the best goaltender in all of the league. And he's 37 years old, but he's coming off a year um, where he was just voted the NHL's best goaltender and. He currently has 500 career wins, one of only three goaltenders in NHL history. And even last season at 36 years old, he put together one of his best campaigns ever with a 928 save percentage and only 1.98 goals against. Now, those numbers are down to 908 and 2.95 this year, but he has been playing with the rebuilding Chicago Blackhawks. So I I know you're not, you know, you're not an elite hockey mind, but... We've all been drawn in a little bit to this wild team that is now second in the Western Conference. And this GM seems to be, you know, understanding the window that we have here with, with, with somebody like Kapril Kaprizov. And um, do you think bringing in Fleury could be the difference maker in terms of a deep playoff run? If he can restore himself to the way he was last year, then for sure. Uh, I mean, I worry with his, his, you know, older age, he's, He's been through a lot of years. Like, I mean, what, 20 years, 18 years? What's his total? So he's 37 years old and he's been in the league for 20 years? That's LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but different sports, right? And LeBron's like a freak of nature. Not everyone lasts that long and is great. So, I mean, maybe maybe Flurry's LeBron James of hockey, but um but yeah, I mean, he's only a year removed from being so spectacular. So I, it'll be cool to see if, if, you know, him rejoining this, this resurgent, this, this team that's like really surging and heading towards the playoffs with some momentum, if that's enough to get him, you know, to basically win some games for us, like he did for Vegas last year. Um, I think it could be enough. Whether it is, is, is a big question mark. He's got to, he's got to find his footing again since he's kind of been on a, a team, like you said, that's rebuilding this year. So. We'll see. I, I like it. I like it better than than sitting back, sitting tight with Talbot and Kakinen because I feel like those two were ex- just extremely inconsistent. Like who who was your number one between those two? I mean, you'd probably say Talbot, but um, you could make the case for Kakinen. And I just like it's nice to have a guy like Flurry, whereas if he steps in and he performs right off the bat, like you know who your number one is. Yeah, the wild flower. The wild flower. <laughs> Love it. Um, that, that, that wasn't an original take, but so, you know, I, I, with Smith's contract for the Vikings, I don't mind it because it, it, it's really about, can you perform? Can you be on the field? It's Buxton-esque. So if he does yeah. and he, he, if he's on the field and he's healthy, he's going to make a difference. Um, yeah. I don't mind rent a goalie, especially for a team that knows that they have 
a, a window here and you got to take advantage. You got a bunch of young guys coming up, a couple of stars in Fiala and Kaprizov. And um, like the windows, they can close tight and they can close fast. I'm not as sure, although you can make the case that we have rent a shortstop too. So <laughs> Carlos yep. Correa signs for three years, $105 million, although years two and three of that contract, he can opt out. Um, but last year he did finish fourth in war and fifth in MVP voting in the American league as a yeah. member of the, um, just two years past cheating Houston Astros. So yeah, he's sure good at banging on a, banging on a garbage can. I don't think the players were banging on the garbage cans, right? It wasn't a team personnel. Well, he at least knows the language of the garbage can. So maybe he can bring that, that language to the, to the Minnesota twins. So do you like the signing of Carlos Correa for basically one year? I mean, I don't know. I don't know why why one wouldn't. I mean, you're basically bringing in like I mean, he's like top 5 player in the AL. So, like you're bringing in this guy who at the very least is going to put fans in the stands, which is going to make, you know, for a better atmosphere. He seems like a good dude. So, he seems like he's going to be a good clubhouse guy. So yeah, I mean maybe we have him for a year, maybe we do, maybe we overachieve and for some reason he sticks around, that's possible. But I also like don't really think I'd be hurt at all if he doesn't stick around because you give I mean it's yeah, it's basically rent a shortstop. We have a couple guys waiting in the wings to take over shortstop hopefully one day. Yeah, well one of the one of the two I mean Royce Lewis is one of the top prospects in all of baseball. So it, right. it but he's still a prospect. So you don't know what that's really going to look like. I kind of like the idea from a Nelson Cruz, Patrick Beverly sort of perspective, like a clubhouse guy, an attitude guy, a winning baseball player, even if you took shortcuts to get there. Um, and, you know, it, 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 I think it's okay because you're right. We've got a couple of guys that are waiting in the wings. And um, the thing is that, do you know why, like really why this happened? I mean, for the twins, it was to get a guy that could come in and fill that gap um for a year and that's probably really all it is right but from why he signed here no so his so back in january he changed his agents to baseball super agent scott boris right and scott boris because of the way that the rules work around agents in baseball what would have happened is that whatever contract that um correa signed this year the old agents would have gotten the overwhelming majority of the commission and so I'm like, okay, well, how much is the commission in baseball? So I looked it up, it's 4 to 10%. So let's say we settle on a number of 7%. There was speculation out there that he'd sign for $300 million, you know, for 9 or 10 years somewhere. Mm. And yeah. um, that's $21 million. And so that's $21 million going to the old agent. So what Boris does is they, they look at every park in Major League Baseball. And Correa has performed the best at Target Field. So Boris calls up the Twins and says, I got a guy that fits your ballpark. Um, and they get him on the line. They sign, you know, they get, they start negotiating happens really quickly. Basically we sign him for a year. So that that one year, I think it's $35 million. We owe him this year, that commission, the 7% of that will go to the old agent. Now next year. And in particularly, if he does well at target field, which he should, if he stays healthy, He'll be 28 years old and still has the potential to sign a 10-year contract for 300 to 350 million. And 7% of 300 million is 21 million. So basically Scott Boris sought out the Minnesota Twins because of Target Field. So 
if we put that ballpark up and we're drawing in players because simply the dimensions and the way that they can hit the ball, not a great sign for our pitchers. But if we can draw <laughs> some offensive bats, um, kind of fascinating though that because you know they were talking about all the big hitters, you know, looking going trying to go after him, all the big markets, and mm. it was it was a he was the you know the 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 cream of the crop in terms of free agent signings in baseball this year. And we got him at least for a year. Now the question is, we, we need more guys that can throw the ball from the mound to home plate, not from shortstop <laughs> to first base. So didn't you of, see, we just signed Chris Archer today. Come on. He's still got something left in the tank. Doesn't he? I'd say if it was me with Chris Archer, I'd be looking at like it's 10 below. I've got less than an eighth of a tank of gas left. I'm just hoping to make it to the next get next exit on the highway. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So um, I, think, I think Kiefer said it best. Uh, my buddy Kiefer, he's like five years ago. I'm super ecstatic about this, but at this point, no. How does Kiefer like, have takes faster than Stephen A. Smith? <laughs> Kiefer's on the ball, man. So of the three guys, so Carlos Correa, Marc-Andre Fleury, and um, Zadaria Smith, who are you really most excited about in terms of potential performance, impact on winning, and contract? Uh, I mean, I'm probably most, the most excited for Marc-Andre Fleury for this year because um, he has the potential to actually take us to the next step, whereas Carlos Correa's could be great. He could He could be the Mike Trout of our team, and we could still be awful. Um, and then Zadarius Smith is just such a question mark of whether he's going to be on the field or not. So I'm going to go flurry and say, let's get that deep playoff run and hopefully even make it to the Stanley. Man, I, I, I would love to see this town with a hockey team, make, you know, making a deep playoff run. Well, the state of hockey. Like, well, we are. Look, we got two teams in the, in the frozen four, Minnesota State, Mankato. You might hey. know a thing or two about the Mavericks. Pretty close to my stomping grounds. Yeah. And then, you know, they're playing um, the University of Minnesota Gophers. And then I think it's Denver versus Michigan in the other matchup. But UMD and St. Cloud State both lost in the Elite Eight. We were all kind of hoping for an all-Minnesota Frozen Four. But we got two teams in. <laughs> they're pretty awesome. Yeah. So Yeah, it'd just be nice if our professional team would actually, you know, live up to the name. Let's see it. Yeah, yeah. I think this is... this. You know, we signed Kaprizov in the offseason, of course. He wanted two, three-year contract. We wanted eight. We settled on five. Prolonged yeah. negotiations, you know, between Russia and, and um, the U.S. But we got it done. And, you know, when you've got a star, you got to take advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like the Wolves. They got a couple of stars and one that's been around for a while that I think has taken uh, a next step. And, and that's Carl Anthony Town. So mm. Wolves are, are they 12 and Six, I believe, since the All Star break. Um, I, I looked yesterday; they said twelve and five, but I don't think they had registered the uh, Celtics game yet. Yeah. Either way, almost a seven hundred winning percentage, if not a little bit better since the All Star break. We're now ten games above five hundred. We were twelve games. Um, had a nice stretch there of four straight wins, and I think we had a couple of losses, but like four or five before that, and then. Recently, however, we, we, we beat Milwaukee shorthanded with Antetokounmpo out. We lost yep. to the Mavericks in Dallas. We lost to Phoenix in Phoenix. We beat the Mavericks at home, and then we lose to the Celtics. So big picture, Wolves are 10 games over 500, two games back of the sixth seed in the West. Isaac, 
in terms of what your expectations were back in October, sitting here on March 28th, what do you have to say about the Wolves? I'm ecstatic. I'm pumped. I mean, just the fact that they're locked into the playoffs at this point is incredible. Like, I wasn't even asking for that much at the start of the year. I just wanted to, you know, hopefully squeeze and get in to be 500. Um, but just the, like their competitive level this year and how they've performed on defense has been a pleasant surprise. Like, I honestly don't even care if they lose in the first round of the playoffs. It's just like them making the playoffs this year is such a huge step. And yeah, that'll definitely increase expectations for next year. But this year, it's like everything that happens in the playoffs is a huge bonus. So I love it. I mean, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think that the salient points are the balance of of offense and defense. And I was looking on StatMuse, and in 41 games since the top of the year, January 1st, we are averaging 121 points per game, which has also elevated us to first overall in points per game for the entire year. Yep. Um, so as you, you know, sixth in offensive rating and 13th in defense, that number has vacillated between like eighth and 22nd. And, but you know, <laughs> we basically we're, we're eighth in net rating. We're 10 games above 500. We're seventh in the West. We're top 10 in rebounds. We're third in assists. We're fourth in free throws attempted. We're fifth in offensive rebounds, although 26th in defensive and fourth in steals and third in blocks. And we have 12 guys that have averaged 10 minutes or more and played 40 games. So the team is deep. They're active defensively. I think, you know, like we're getting to the line a lot. We're shooting the three ball well. We've taken more three-pointers than any team in the league. And I just think from a big picture perspective, yeah. Like we were debating, was it 34 and a half? I know we bring this up in every podcast, but the over-under, I took the under. Yeah, basketball reference says 35 and a half, but either way. Yeah, yeah, and we're at 43, and we have six games to go, and we've had a little bit of a rough schedule here, but a um, little buzz in town. Yeah, yeah, you can see it. The merch is out. People are are repping the wolves, which is you know normally not a a thing you see around town. So that's pretty that's pretty exciting. Yeah, well, you people see, are noticing. You see it with me. My my spring jacket that I usually break out in the depths of winter in February. With like that bright the the bright blue you know yeah. Tim, Timberwolves throwback like, hey man, we we can go twenty and sixty two and I'm wearing that baby. <laughs> that is a nice jacket. But yes, thank you Ilhan for getting that yeah. for me a few Shout birthdays ago. Wife. Shout out. Um, but I was at a uh, uh, rock and jump in Egan yesterday, which is basically a place where you go to bring your toddlers to burn off energy for two hours. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty much all trampoline bouncing and climbing and slides, but yeah, th- I saw that's there, incredible. I had two different Timberwolves conversations. Granted, I might've struck them up and it might've been <laughs> dudes that like were repping Timberwolves merch, but you're right. Y- you don't see that. Um, normally like it, people yeah. are ashamed to even take it out of their drawer, let alone wear it out in public. What, what's what's your thoughts on so they sit in the seventh seed right now, right? Six games remaining for them. Yeah. Um, they've got two teams in front of them, Denver and Utah, that are just a few games <clears throat> difference. Um, do you see any route to us moving up in the standings? Well, yeah. Utah Utah's at forty five and thirty, and Denver's at forty five thirty one. So. So we're two games in front of us. 
two games back and three games back, right? Yep. Um, yep. And so the the Nuggets, you look at their schedule for the final six. They've got the Pacers, the Wolves. Always good to have a game, a, you know, a matchup head to head that for a full yep. game. The Lakers, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, and the Lakers. So both Lakers games are winnable. The Spurs game is winnable. The Pacers game will probably be a fight, and they've got the the Grizzlies who are tough, and then us. Yeah. It's so, like three 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 tough games and four should be should be winnable ones. But the Wolves, and we've kind of had murderers row these last five games. Um, but the Jazz have the um they have seven games left. So they have the Clippers, who are still without their stars, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Thunder, the Suns, and the Trailblazers. So a bit of a mix too. Some some winnable mm-hmm. games and some games against tough teams. And then the Wolves have the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Wizards, the Spurs, and the Bulls. So there's four games there that, you know, if we play, well, three games. But yeah. the Bulls and the Nuggets are going to be tough, and the Raptors are not an easy game either. So I feel like um, we all, all three of these teams have kind of a mixed bag left. The problem is we're two games back and three games back with six games to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have a hard time, um, I, I have a hard time seeing a path to catching even one of these teams. I mean, yeah. let's say we go four and two, that means that the Nuggets would have to go two and four, or the Jazz would have to go two and five. Yeah, unlikely, right? But I do feel it's more. I feel it. I feel like it's possible with with Utah. I don't think I think Denver's going to stay just in front of us, but I feel like Utah's been kind of fallen enough. And they have the, I, w- I would say, the tougher schedule out of the three remaining, not by much maybe, but a little bit tougher, that if we were to catch anyone, I think I think it'd be Utah sliding to seven and we'd then scoot into six. But yeah. it's not looking super likely, but that would be the scenario that I would think would be most likely for us moving up at this point. So... Say that we don't catch uh, Denver, then you're looking at a seven-eight matchup for the first play-in game against yeah. the Clippers. And I mean, I've heard every report that there is. You know, Paul George is um, on the moon. Kawhi Leonard can't be found. <laughs> they're both coming back for the play-in game, and I don't know. But if they're both back, I'm not even worried that much because there's only six games left. Like, because even with stars, there has to be integration. Yeah. So I, you know, I think if we win that first play-in game, we're done. Like we're in the we're a seven seed and we're locked in. Yeah. Say we're to lose that though, say they get their guys back and maybe one of them plays well, and you know, then you're up against the Pelicans or the Lakers. And man, the the Lakers have actually fallen to the ten seed, and they're they're the Lakers got to be careful because Anthony Davis is still hurt. LeBron tweaked his ankle yesterday, and they're only a half game up on the Spurs. So. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that the Lakers aren't even in the play-in tournament this year, and I I would rather not play LeBron. I mean, I know they're they're he's old and that team's not very good or deep, but I would rather if it's an untested Timberwolves team for one game. I don't know if I'd want to match up against him if he's pretty healthy. Yeah, he's old. I'm over it. I'm not even not even scared. Bring on bring on 37 year old LeBron without any help like i'd be scared if it was like five years ago but 
I've seen enough of this Lakers team, especially if they still give minutes to Russell Westbrook, where I, I ain't too worried about the Lakers, I think. I mean, as long as we like play our game, that's an easy win. I mean, it, but it's also the Wolves, like you said, they're untested. It's possible we just like can't hit any threes that game because we do rely heavily on the three. So, <sighs> and you know, LeBron, if he wants to, if he turns it on for one game, I don't know if he can do this in a seven game series anymore, but that man is still capable. I mean, you saw that dunk he had last week, yeah. um, over Kevin Love, and then Kevin Love yeah. came out of. Ha- I, I, he, I mean, he, he soared. I mean, it wasn't John Moran, it wasn't Anthony Edwards, but that guy for 37 years old has, if if he decides, you know, he might not be able to get around the whole track at 205 miles an hour, but if he needs to get around one corner and a straightaway, I'd put him up against most players in the league still. And and if that's one yeah. game in the playing tournament, I would not want to fuck with that. I just like, it's, it's one guy though. Like he could, he could score 40 and have 20 rebounds and their ger- geriatric team isn't going to be able to keep up. So, like, where are you going to get your other points from? Like, if Anthony Davis is back, maybe. But for sure, without Anthony Davis, I just I don't see it. Well, the Timberwolves are capable of shitting the bed like any team is. And I don't think we will yeah. with Chris Finch. I don't think that this team is going to, um, you know, even in the games against Phoenix and Boston, who, by the way, are now the one seeds in their respective conferences. Phoenix has yeah. been for a while, but you know, um, Boston's moved its way up and neither game was close, but I never felt like these guys weren't giving like their top effort. It's just, we ran up against some well-oiled machines. So, you know, I'm going to ask you this question and Isaac, I think it's time to hit the record button. All right. So the Timberwolves are 10 games above 500. We're 43 and 33. And yet our last five games have been against all playoff contenders. As I mentioned before, Milwaukee without Giannis at home, we win by 20. I think we hit like 75 three-pointers, right? <laughs> we we basically trade wins against Dallas. We lose by two in Dallas, and then we beat them handily in Minneapolis. Phoenix kind of gives it to us in Phoenix, and Boston um, drubs us yesterday. So in this five-game stretch, the Timberwolves are completely healthy um, outside of maybe Jaden McDaniels. What did you learn? And is Beasley out now too? He's got a sprained ankle. What did you learn about these Wolves in these last five games in terms of what this might tell you about what their ceiling is? Yeah, I mean, well, it's, I feel like it's it's kind of streaky. And, like, they kind of rely still heavily on the three. Um, defense is up and down. I think that's more the streaky part. Like, some games they're going to stop their opponent completely. In other games, it's, they're going to allow 150 points. Um so it's kind of like a, a hit and miss sort of deal, but I I think I think we're we can just as easily beat just about any team. Maybe not the top seeds, but we could also lose to just about any team on any given day. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think any playoff teams. Um, yeah, and you know we beat Milwaukee, and granted, you know uh, Giannis was a late scratch due to to, to knee soreness, but you know they still had Drew Holiday. And they still had Chris Middleton, and we, we we won by 20, and we had that game sealed up in the third quarter. Dallas, we easily could have won in Dallas. Yeah. You know, we missed a lot of sh- um, shots late in the fourth quarter, about four layups that I counted in the second half that would have been the difference. Yeah, poor between... offensive showing, yeah. Yeah, especially for the first uh, two and a half quarters. And then, you know, but I, the games against the Suns and the Celtics really showed me 
that this team, although I think we're definitely a playoff team, we've still got a pretty long way to go before we can trade baskets with the league's best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think it takes a little bit more skill too. Like we look at the depth even on our roster and we just have a lot of guys that still need more reps. Like we're relying heavily on like a McDaniels, on an Edwards, um, on a Jared Vanderbilt, like a lot of guys who, you know, a few years ago were either in college or not even like the first 10 players on the bench. So, I mean, they've, they've made tremendous strides, but it's also like these play, like we have to figure out if these players have more to give. And if we can get to a point where they're going to be solid role players or in Edwards case, is he going to be, you know, a one A or one B, you know, hopefully the one A is really what we need. But, um, well, if you had talked to me last summer and, and had played this clip back for me about what we're talking about, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be ecstatic. So I'll take, you know, which I am, we are right. Like it, this is great. Like, even, I mean, again, like I'll say it again, even if we like lose in the first round, like I would still be super happy about this year. If you see this year was a success. I think if we lose in the first round and, a, and if we're decimated, I'm, it might leave a, a sour taste in my mouth, but if we lose and we're competitive and it's a four, two series, or even a four, one series that goes, you know, down to the wire in several games and we just play hard and like the guys gave everything they had. That's a, that's a stepping stone. That's a stepping yeah. stone that I can go into the off season and say, okay, a couple more tweaks with Gerson Rosas. Oh wait, that's right. This whole team that we put together that was put together by Gerson Rosas. He's no longer here. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what, what Sachin Gupta has to do, but yeah, yeah. I think the long and short of it is like, let's be happy. We have a season yeah. without expectations, a team that's done better than what we thought they would. And that has a chance to make a little bit of noise in the playoffs. This is, this is one of the best kinds of seasons that you can have as an NBA fan. Cause once you're there, then the pressure's on and it's still mm-hmm. fun. But when you're going up against that pressure, it's a completely different animal. So this okay. is our carefully, our carefree and loose, like the Timberwolves are on the rise season. Yeah. So like, let's get into a few specifics before we go into break, just about, you know, the players that have kind of gotten us to this point. So um, I, I, I think we'd be remiss without talking about the rise of towns post all-star break, really the rise of towns the whole year, but sort of emerging onto the national stage. As you keep texting me, he's good possibility is going to be a top 10 MVP candidate. Good possibility. Therefore I'm going to lose a bet <laughs> dinner and I'm going to have to buy you dinner. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about towns. Yeah. I mean, he's all year. He's been tremendous. Just even attitude wise, which we've talked about in past podcasts and, you could like, it's just apparent on the court. Um, in March, I feel like he's even like taking it up another level. Um, he's averaging 26, 10 and, and three, and he's shooting 50% from the floor and 42 from, from the three point line. He's just been like, he's been tremendous. Like he's been the guy that, you know, we need to like lead it, lead this team. Now we just need kind of some more players to step up in certain games. But I feel like for the most part, like, we have the record we do because cats just continue to be amazing. And he's even shown like improvements on defense too. Like, no, he's still not at a point where you'd like him to be, but compared to previous years, like he's, he's doing enough to at least not be like, not have the lane be something that that's like an easy pass. Yeah. He's been, you know, like just thinking about that 60 point game, thinking about the three point contest win. those are things that like, 
you know, you go viral on social media and NBA Twitter, and it just it puts you into a a stratosphere that maybe I don't think Towns really has ever gotten close to. Even in the seventeen eighteen season, that was mainly Jimmy Butler led, and so. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would call him the heart and soul of this team, but I certain I certainly think I would call him like the leader in he's the best basketball player in the Timberwolves. And it's been yeah. kind of fun to watch his attitude come out. Like we talked about it in our last podcast, but you know, after subsequent to that, we played that the Lakers at home when we beat them pretty easily, you know, the night that Westbrook shot that three pointer that just completely missed the rim. And, yeah. ta- and Towns pretended like he didn't even know where the ball was. He was like looking up into the second, uh, second bowl, and <laughs> and Beverly was like tapping LeBron's ass. It's like, and yeah, like there was just like uh, there was a there was a, a conversation about that game the following day on like NBA podcast and 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 the commentators on the Talking Head shows, and it was like there's a little bit of buzz not just in town but also nationally. Um, and I think the buzz is mostly around towns and, you know, I kind of thought it might also be about Edwards, but I got to say, Isaac, like I'm not disappointed in Edwards, but in the 14 games since the all-star break in mid February, including four that he missed due to injury, um, he's only averaging 15.4 points per game, 39% from the field and only 31% from three with 18 field goal attempts. Now, the rest of the year, he averaged 22.2 points, 44 from the field, and 37 from three. So, and he's had some good games. He's had a few, um, you know, nice performances where he's taken over a quarter or a half. But on the whole, like, I'm not seeing the ant I saw pre-All-Star break, at least consistently. And there's always been a little bit of inconsistency with him. But mm-hmm. what do you think is going on with him? Yeah, well, we always thought it was, like, maybe an injury, right? We thought it was, like, impacting his game and maybe – he was just out there to to kind of play because he wanted to, but he wasn't able to give it his all. Or maybe Finch knew he was hurt, so they weren't running the, the offense through him. Like possible, um, but but the part that like I think I'm with you on is I feel like the the like swagger of Ant is not there right now, and I'm not sure what where that went or what's going on there. Maybe the playoffs are going to give him a jolt, and he'll be back to that. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Hopefully we can just chalk it up to a sophomore slump and this is something we don't have to worry about talking about next season. Um, but it has been a little strange. I still think, in my opinion, he's still producing. Um, what's great about him is even 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 when he goes quiet on offense, like I feel like he still gives enough on defense where he's a very impactful player that way. Like He's, he's a two-way player. Uh, maybe not like the best in the world, but he definitely he gives a crap on both ends of the, on the, of the court. So... I would I would say let's not read too much into it, but if it continues or if he comes back to it, then it does get a little bit concerning. Yeah, I think you know if we have any chance to like really push a team, like say we're say we get out of the play-in tournament and we're a seven seed, and you know we're up against at that point maybe Memphis, maybe Golden State. Golden State's vulnerable though. Um, I think I'd actually rather play Golden State at this point because Steph's hurt. That yeah. injury that Marcus Smart tackled him, um, soccer style. And, you know, um, Draymond, he's supposed to be coming back, but he's got back issues. And, you know, Clay hadn't played for two years and he's back, but he's he the same guy. And, you know, Wiseman's still not back. So there's a lot of question marks in Golden State. 
Um, but whether it's are Golden, you sure you, are, you, are you sure you want Revenge Wiggins though? He's not going to sustain it for a playoff series. He, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one. He might have one good night. I sure like seeing the number twenty-two on Patrick Beverly a lot more than I ever did on Andrew Wiggins. Like Pat, Pat Bevel have the ball. He's and I see. You know, we're up in the second deck, and like I'm just like. Thinking about that guy, you know, one of the years we had season tickets that was sitting across from us, I'd always say, Andrew, no! <laughs> Every time that he put the ball up, you know, and, I, and sometimes I have PTSD where it's triggered when Pat Bev shoots the ball or does something. And I'm like, oh, that's Pat Bev. We're okay. Um, although maybe we're not okay in terms of him escalating conflict. But um, so, yeah, you know, like I, I think my point was is that, you know, if we get it out of the play in tournament, you're looking at probably Memphis or um, the Golden State Warriors. And I think that, you know, I think D'Lo has been honestly like the second most consistent player on this team this year. Like you can expect 18 and seven out of him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I mean, got a, he, I, I got a point to make with him, but yeah, keep going. I just think that our, our ceiling, you know, I think town's going to show up. And so mm-hmm. if Edwards is the Edwards who's scoring 23 a game and, making, you know, four three-pointers and bringing the Edward swag. I, this team could this team could have upset somebody. But yeah. if he's not, if he's just 18 points a night and 14 shots and making plays here and there but not really impacting the game and that's probably more likely who he is as a sophomore never having played in the playoffs, but what's your point about Delo? So I just think I, I I agree with you on Ant, but my only my only point would be is he could keep doing what he's doing right now, the whole eighteen points, being super efficient from the three, like shooting forty percent. If we get more out of D'Lo, um, I feel like D'Lo to me is kind of the missing piece. If he plays really well, we're gonna we're gonna beat a lot of good teams, and if he does not play well, it's gonna show in the results at the end of the game. Um. And it's really interesting too, because our March, I feel like we've done pretty solid. Um, although we've had some big losses to the better teams, but in March, uh, he's averaging like this was shocking to me. I had to like do a double take. He's only averaging 13 points a game, but on eight assists, which is good. That's healthy for a point guard. You want that. Um, but another like really bad point is he's only shooting 20% from the three point line. So like he is not trending. Like you want to get hot in March, right? You want to get hot going in the playoffs. That is not the case for D'Lo right now. He is in another slump, like he was in the beginning of the year. So my concern is that he keeps that slump going and takes it in the playoffs. And then that's, I mean, if if we don't have a D'Lo, that's at least like we need him to be efficient. If he's not efficient, that's gonna really reduce our you know chances at upsetting a team. But if he's hot. If he's making, you know, overtime game-winning three-pointers like he did against Philly, like, that's when we have a chance to be a really special team, especially with, like, I just don't think you need to, like, whatever we get out of Ant, like, I think you can expect this, like, 18 points, this kind of average. Anything we get above that is going to be bonus. Like, because we just don't know. It's his second year. He doesn't even know, probably. So it's like, but D'Lo, a guy that's, you know, maybe he hasn't really exactly been there in the playoffs. Like, he had that run with Brooklyn. But he's at least been in the league longer. He should know a little bit better of how to carry a team. Like that's a guy we should be relying more on, and especially expecting more than 13 points a game on 28% shooting from the three-point line. So I'm looking for him to turn it around because if he plays that way, 
in the playoffs, I think we're out. Like we lose if he's like that. We need him to be much better. I think what we're saying is that, you know, other than Towns, you're looking at a bunch of guys that have these little five to seven game stretches one way or the other. And you've been you've been wooing me on D the whole year. Yeah. I don't think I was wooing you on Ant. I think we were wooing each other on Ant. But oh, yeah. you know, like Ant's <laughs> been down and he maybe he's been a little yeah. bit back up, but not that much back up. And it's just I, yeah, I think if, if if this team, I mean, we're averaging you know 121 points since January 1st. Yeah, I don't think we can get too bogged down in the um, the the minutia of a two week stretch, especially this time right. of the year, because it's really easy to get really high on a team when you're playing against a bunch of got teams that are um, tanking or just not in contention for the playoffs. Like post All Star break results are hard to trust. Yeah. I, against non-playoff teams. I'd still like to have players who are all hot going into the playoffs. If you get a player as ice cold as D'Lo, that's concerning. Yeah, well, you know, we could talk in two weeks, Isaac, after six games, we go four and two in those games, and, you know, we're all on it again. But I think you're right. I think you have to have a D'Lo and an Ant in order for us, as I said, to make a team scared or to surprise somebody in round one. One of those guys is going to have to get really hot, and the other guy is going to have to play well alongside of consistency from Towns. Yeah. Because our defense is better, but I think against the best teams, what I've seen is that they pick us apart a little bit. Like the scramble D, the three point rotations are a little sloppy. Um, and well, part we don't know with that too, though, is like that's game to game, right? Um, and maybe this is where we're even more at a disadvantage once it gets to the playoffs. But how does, what, what does our defense look like? when we're scheming for a team for a seven game series, does it get better because we're able to hone in on a team or does it get even worse because teams are like, Oh, this is what the wolves do. And yeah, no problem. I think that's the point we made about Finch, you know, who was the, yeah. um, one of the, what did I, I was looking at the stats for coach of the year. And you know, before we had this little stretch against these good teams, like there's, he was starting to get some buzz, but I think how you adjust in a playoff series when the other coach is making adjustments to your adjustments ultimately has a lot to do with like which with what you know like just thinking about Monty Williams and and Budenholzer last year. Williams got a little outcoached by a guy that we thought got outcoached by everybody, but <laughs> I think the point I was listening to um I think the NBA Ringer show or maybe it was the mismatch, but like coaches can Coaches can grow and evolve too. And so we just don't know what we have with Finch yet in terms of being battle tested in the biggest moments. Yeah. I suspect he's going to meet the moment. Yeah. You know, maybe not be great, but I suspect he's going to meet the moment. So we've carried on for a bit here with the Wolves. Um, Isaac, when we come back, let's talk a little Minnesota United who started the year in March and they did not play in minus 17 degree weather like the U.S. men's national team. All right, Isaac, and we're we're back from break. And after talking about the Wolves, we're we're going to move on to another team in town that's actually playing right now since baseball's been delayed a bit, and that's the Minnesota United, who have opened the 2022 campaign with a four-game unbeaten streak, going 
two oh and two with eight points currently third in the Western Conference. We were seventh before yeah. that win against San Jose. So yeah. what have what have you seen in these first four games, Isaac, in terms of um how you think this year might play out? Yeah, well probably a lot like like past years. I mean, we're still keeping teams from scoring, which is which is good. And I mean I feel like that's kind of like our our main thing with our team has always been the defense and preventing people from scoring. So, I mean, we're, we're still keeping that, you know, status quo. Um, and really the issue is still like, who's going to score or how are we going to score? Or like, can we actually put the ball in the back of the net? Which, I mean, we have four goals in, in, in four games, right? So, I mean, a goal a game, that's at least, at least we're putting, we're putting points on the board. Um, so it's, I'd say it's off to a decent start. Um, but I think the the same questions remain. Um, one positive note that I want to throw in there is the wonder walls back. Let's go, baby. Uh, it's back in full force. So I think that's going to make an impact, but we can talk a little bit more about that maybe towards the, the second half. I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay. So let's, I'll take you up on your points. Um, so your point, Isaac, that you made about this is a Heath team. We're not giving up a lot of goals and we're not scoring a lot of goals, right? And if you think yeah. back to 2000, I mean, this team has made the playoffs now three years in a row, right? Yeah. First round exits in 19 and 21 and Western Conference Finals in 2020, right? Yep. What was the difference in 2020? Because the defense and the midfield but particularly the defense and the and the and the goalkeeping has been you know i think relatively on par what was the big difference in that run yeah i mean they got they got hot scoring or at least one guy got hot scoring and once we got in the playoffs the molino and renoso connection yeah i and so when i was thinking today about like what was different about that that everything cuz i mean we've had good teams and we we should be appreciative of that but yeah i think we need a second dynamic offensive player i think renoso although he hasn't scored or assisted on a goal yet this year. He, I mean, he's been involved in the offense in ways that Reynoso is sometimes hockey assists, right? Sometimes yeah. just getting the ball from the midfield, you know, into the, um, in, into the attack. But, um, do you think that with Fragapene, assuming he's healthy and with, uh, Luis Amaria at the nine and with Robin Lode on the wing and with Reynoso, you know, leading your, your your midfield attack. Do you think this team can put together enough goals this year to get us back to where we were just two years ago in the Western Conference Finals? I mean, I'd love to say yes and be positive, right? Um, but it's it's hard to say. I mean, seeing the bit last year, like it's it, it's not it's not consistent enough. But also, I think we need we need health to be on our side. So. Uh... I like I like the addition of Amaria. I think f- fitting him in instead of who who knew or whoever else you want to throw in there. Um I think he's a huge plus. Um now it's it's still the MLS, so I think the 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 question on finishing is still a bit of an issue and especially with Amaria, we've already seen it this year. Uh I think it was just I think it was just in the last game um against San Jose. Uh, he probably should have scored like legitimately four goals. <laughs> uh, like he, I think he had two or three shots where he was in front of the goal 
perfect like perfect chance to score and he sailed it over the crossbar every single time. So I mean that's that's something where it's like, okay, this is the MLS, I get that. But it'd be nice if if he found a little bit more um calm on his attack. And maybe that's just not who he is. Maybe he's kind of high wired. I mean he's kind of a guy with a lot of flair, I would say. Um which is kind of cool. It's fun to watch. Like he makes cool plays, but it's as equally as it is fun to watch. It's like such a headache to watch. Um, we've already seen it this year. Like he tries to make these really fancy passes, these really fancy plays. And sometimes like once we're getting pretty close to their 18 and it's like, all he needed to do was either turn and take the ball himself. And he had a perfect opportunity for a shot or just make the quick, easy pass. And someone else has a really easy shot. And instead he tries to do like some crazy back heel flip thing. And, it goes to the opposing team because there's no one in the area he just passed it to. Um, so I don't know if that's, I mean, maybe that's just chemistry, right? Where, like, you need to know where your teammates are going to be at all times. Like, that's just a huge part of the game where you're, like, you're predicting what's going to happen next. Like, you know, the X's and O's of soccer. And I feel like he's at a point right now, and maybe it's just because, you know, he wasn't here last year. Like, yeah, he was here two years ago. Um maybe he's still trying to get in with the players and figure out exactly what they're doing. Um, so I'm hoping that piece of it is going to get a lot more fluid and maybe he'll either decide not to make those flashy passes or those flashy passes were still up to connect because either the players know where he's going with it or he knows where his players are going to be. All right. So I think, you know, Isaac, the, the points that I'm hearing you make are chemistry. We're four games into the season. Um, you know, do we have the right guys in the right combinations? And I think a lot of that's going to play out over the course of the next couple of months. But thinking back to last year, so we signed Adrian Hanu. Who knew his name was Hanu? Who knew? And he's our highest paid player at this point, sitting on the bench at $2.35 million per year, which is a lot <laughs> for the MLS. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Ramon Avila came and went. And Luis Amaria, we signed in 2020, and we, we had him on loan last year to. Uh, Liga Deportiva Universitaria in Quito, Ecuador. He helped I'm glad them. you said that. I would have butchered that. <laughs> but he, he scored 15 goals, and he helped them win their the, the title um, in their country last year. And so, you know, you got Hanu on the bench, and you've got Amaria doing some nice things. He has scored two goals, and he, he's, he, he does tend to try to put on a little too much of a show. And you got Fragapene, who last year, you know, was really solid most of the year, especially on mm. set pieces. Like, how many times were we at games where it was like Fragapene on a header, Fragapene, like, you know, getting a rebound off a free kick or something? Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like him on one of the wings. You know, yeah. and Load, I, I, I don't know how much of a player he is in terms of creating synergy. Like, you, you've never heard, like, seen like a Reynoso Load, like, combination of passes that led to something brilliant like he'll get the ball in the wing and he'll do something or he'll be in a position to like you know a ball that gets misplayed inside the 18 or a cross and like you know he'll score but I've just never felt that he's got great chemistry with Reynoso whereas I think Fragapene has found some of that Amaria I think could the question is you know do you want to go to a two striker attack in that kind of formation bring in Hanu put him alongside of Amaria and instead of having a nine at the front, having two nines. Mm. Yeah. I mean that, that would be if, if, 
if I were running the show, that'd be my thing. Um, I would love to do that. Um, whenever I play FIFA, that's my preferred formation is two strikers because you have more of an attack and someone that you can play off of more. Um, but I mean, we've got to have the right players for it, right? Um, so, I mean, if who knew is the right player for that, that's great. Uh, I still kind of question what exactly who knew is good at. Like, do, do you know? Do you have an idea of what, like, what, what's his calling card that makes him? His last name? Yeah, who knew, right? <laughs> who knew he has nothing he's good at? Who knew? Um, so that, that, that'd be the only piece for me is like, if we did a two striker system, then is, is who knew actually going to provide value versus, cause what would you be taking away from that in your midfield? Well, I think that, you know, if you split the 18, right, if you got two strikers and you got Reynoso in the middle, it, it just from a tactical perspective, I'd like to see if we're having a hard time scoring, um, like maybe giving, giving Reynoso more angles. Not such wide angles where guys have to, like, if you, if you, if you go wide from the midfield to one of your wingers, like, usually they have to either make a cross or make a play. Whereas yeah. if Reynoso can be, like, immediately involved in the play, if you've got the def- if you've got two strikers, two nines, and, you know, it, especially if one of them gets hot, it's going to pull the defense one way, you know? Yeah. And is that going to allow, you know, Reynoso to make a little bit more of his magic? So I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 no, I don't think a new, I'm pretty sure based on what I've seen and, and Heath kind of has him in the doghouse, but he seems to be, you know, the, the players are saying he's, he's being positive and he's, he's, he's training hard. Well, that's good. That's great. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who knew can get hot though. Is that, is that like part of a, you know, vocabulary in his soccer world? Well, maybe not, but you know, maybe the move is then like to get off that contract and to saddle him out, Yeah, which I would be okay with. I'm just saying if he's here, and we're having a hard time now. We've scored enough goals, as you said, because our defense and midfield is playing well, and, and our in our um, Dane St. Clair at the net. But I I think that this has been the question we've asked ourselves a hundred times on this podcast about the Minnesota United, and I yeah. still don't know if we have the right combination of players. But man, if we could just find somebody, and Frakapene had some of it. But like mm-hmm. just that really can like take advantage of because Reynoso last year actually you know just looking at my notes here, um, he didn't have a great campaign. Um, he only had six assists in thirteen games in two thousand or in in two thousand twenty. I mean, when he was uh, making that run with Molino, he had six assists in thirteen games. Last year, he had five goals and four assists in twenty nine games. But I wanted to say like there was a stat that I did not write down, but it was like. 23 of his 23% of his passes when he was attacking from the midfield should have led to opportunities. Like meaning you can get a, a boot on the ball towards the net, right? And yet he only had five four assists, which tells mm-hmm. you about the finishing problem. So right. well, let's talk about the parts of the team we do like. We made a couple of key signings um with uh, we have Ramon Met- Metinair, who's still out with a hamstring injury, and Chase Gasper, who has voluntarily admitted himself to the league's um, substance abuse program, I believe, and is out indefinitely, mm-hmm. which is leaving us a little thin on the back lines. But what have, what have we done, Isaac, in terms of fortifying our defenses and the midfield? <laughs> well, we've definitely done just a lot of makeshift stuff to begin with, but uh, 
Well, we brought in O'Neill Fisher, uh, who helped us on the first game uh, on the right back spot. And then we've kind of moved Debassi uh, out to the left back, which I've found to be really interesting because I thought he was kind of, you know, along with Boxel, like they really anchored the uh, center back position. Uh, but in surprise fashion, we've had a guy step up in the back line in uh, Brent Coleman. Um, he's kind of been our Boxel type player this year. Um, normally Boxel's the guy that's in almost every play on defense in previous years, but this year it's been Coleman. He's been everywhere. He's been making, been making good plays. I feel like normally in previous years, there's like a player to a game that's just like a head scratcher leads to their team scoring. But so far this year, through four games, he's been probably one of our most solid defenders. So he's been very impressive. So it's been nice to see him fill in that role. But we also brought in, uh, Kamar, Kamar Lawrence. Yeah. He's, he's proven that, I mean, he can play on a good team. He, he came up in the New York Red Bulls system and two of the years he was on that team, they were first in the league and he started most of those games. So he, he, he's got a lot of experience there. And then after that, he went to the Belgium league and everything I've heard, um, from, is it Anderlecht? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, everything I've heard from, from that experience he had was that they wanted to keep him. They wanted to hold on to him. So he, he made a good impression there too. And so now at the age of 29, which is still a great, great age, uh, in soccer, we have him coming here. And I would assume to fill in for Chase Gasper since he's going to be out for who knows how long. Um, and, I mean, he's just solid, like just about as solid as you could get on the outside back. So, I mean, I feel good about our defense, just the fact that we, we've already strung it together in our first four games pretty unconventionally. Um, and our defense has still looked, I would say, unchanged, unfazed. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to add players like Metinair back into the system and, uh, this Lawrence guy, once he's up to, up to playing, um, condition, like, I think our defense is set. I have no question on that. It's really just, what do we have in offense? Well, Lawrence is a 70 on FIFA, which for, oh, an yeah? M- yeah, for an MLS that's, guy is, is, uh, that, that's really high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lo- not too many. And by the way, uh, how'd you go that route? I like that. <laughs> our, so Dane Sinclair, who took over in goal for Tyler Miller after Miller was ill against the um, New York Red Bulls on the 15th, mm-hmm. I believe. Sinclair steps in and hasn't relinquished, you know, minding the net since then. And, yeah. you know, um, is he our number one? I think the number one is his as long as he takes it. Um, I I was super impressed with the run he had. Uh, was it last year or two years ago that he stepped in? And I think it was mostly two years, the end of the 2020 campaign. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. He left a good impression on me since then. I, I like the way he handles himself in goal. He's kind of more of an exciting goalie, I, w- I would say. Um and just like kind of the way he plays and moves around, like it's kind of sometimes unconventional. Um, but I think he's got the net in my opinion. He's also only 24. So the fact that he's like as good as he is at this age, like keep giving him reps and, you know, we have potentially a really good goalie in the keep in, 
in the net here. And also, like, just something to note, when uh, New England lost their goalie, Matt Turner, uh, to England, there was a ton of rumors going around that they needed to go after Dane St. Clair because he's not playing and it would be a great goalie to put in the net. Um, so even just, like, hearing that buzz, it's like, okay, like, we, we have something here and people are noticing, like, around the league. Yeah, I mean, that's a good problem to have when he, you know, thinks about who he's going to start and you've got two guys that you trust. And, you know, Miller has been, he's 29 years old. He played for the Seattle Sounders. You know, as you've said multiple times last year, he's just a leader on the back end. Barking orders. It's not just about your save percentage, which, by the way, Miller, uh, or uh, St. Clair in the 2020 campaign, when he did have 13 starts, he averaged one goal against per game and a 78.2 save percentage, which is higher than any stretch, any year in Miller's career. But my question for you, and I think that, you know, Heath likes things that he can hang his hat on. He likes to come home from a hard day at the office, take off his hat, take off his jacket, and be able to hang them right there, put the keys down, and know everything's in its place. And that's what Miller brings. You know, and St. Clair's got a little bit more of a flash to his game, and I think over he's more athletic. He's younger. He's the either the second or the third goalkeeper on the um, Canadian national team, um, which, by the way, qualified for the World Cup for the first time in like second time in their history. Is that what I read? It's incredible, something like that. Yeah, yeah the Maple Leafs haven't been haven't been very consistent in Concacaf, <laughs> but you know, I it, it's interesting like that Miller misses one game, um, and St. Clair ends up winning MLS player of the week mm. in the two matches that followed. And then now he stuck with him. So I think this is his opportunity because last time he played back two years ago when he was 22, Miller was hurt. Miller's not hurt anymore. He was sick for a game. So yeah. I, I also think that like, maybe you got a young guy at 24. Maybe you can take a guy like Miller and turn him into something, mm. you know, on the offensive end in particular. I know it doesn't work quite that cleanly with like soccer exchanges and transfers and, you know, loans. And, you know, it isn't like, Oh, we have a depth here. So we'll just trade for a place where we don't have depth the way you can, like in the NBA, but yeah. you got to think if we've got depth in the goal, like if you got a young guy, like, and you got an older guy that's been proven, like maybe we can get something for him. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that'd be the ideal scenario. I also feel like having two guys that you can start any given game is a nice luxury just to have say either one gets hurt or one just needs rest. Like you can put the other guy in and not be terrified about it. Well, the wild had Talbot and Kakinen and just traded Kakinen and traded for Flurry, even though right. they had, they had two guys that I know that like you can say, and I, I know Kiefer, you've been saying the whole year that this team's been good on defense, but we've been leaky at the goal and I get it. But there, you know, there have been points over the last eighteen months where we've argued that Talbot's the guy, or that Kakinen should be the guy, right? And that's kind of how I feel with these two guys. Like, I don't. Saint Clair could be it. Miller's solid. Okay, so um, we've talked about the offense. We've talked a little bit about the defense. One more guy I want to bring up before we wrap up tonight, Isaac, um, and that's a guy in the midfield who I keep wanting to call Kevin, but his name <laughs> is in fact Kelvin Ariaga. So you know, thank you. It's actually it's actually Curvin. Curvin. Okay. I so, gave it to you wrong. Um I'm gonna edit this. I'm not gonna edit this out because Kevin Kelvin Curvin, 
is <laughs> I think we could we could play with that the same way we have with you know um, Robin Lord Lord Lud, Lud and uh, Hanu Hunu and <laughs> Hanoi Hanoi that's right. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I listen to soccer podcasts, and if you don't do some of this, with because you know, with the thing about soccer, whether it's the MLS or it's La Liga or it's the Premier League or it's the Bundesliga, like you got guys coming in from eight, nine different countries. Like you, you go to the Allianz Field, and you're sitting in the Wonder Wall, and you're looking up against all the national flags that they hang for the players and their team. There's like twelve yeah. of them. Yeah. You, you know, you go to their soccer reference page, and like. I can't even like name half the flags. So <laughs> I'm extending you a little bit of gracefulness as I hope you do me in terms of pronunciation of these players that come from abroad or no even domestically that we might chop, we might butcher. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, they, they have a guy and they have a guy in the wing, which we're not going to get to today, but that's going to be one. That's going to be quite the doozy to try to pronounce. So Kervin Ariagla. Ariaga. Ariaga. Kervin Ariaga. All right, you got this, Isaac. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, so he's a guy that to me has come completely out of nowhere. Twenty uh, four year old, six foot three, so he's super noticeable. Uh, Honduran. He like he's just been stuck in the Honduras league this whole time. You actually like look at his uh, his football reference page, and it's blank. There's literally only what's happened so far these first four games. So, like, there is nothing on this guy. But when he's on the field, he's, like, you can, like, he's everywhere. He's got, like, long, spindly legs. He's tall. He covers a ton of ground. Um, he's making plays. Um, and I just, like, I, I, I get, like, I get the feeling with him, like, you know, I kind of got, and a lot of people got with Asani Dotson, you know, when he was coming up and before he was, he was uh, bangers only. Um, he's just like a guy with a lot of potential and a guy that like makes a lot, a lot of moves and even like can do free kicks. But no, if you haven't seen it, cause, which I know you have actually, because I showed you his free kick against Philly, which I was not expecting him to take. Also the announcers thought he was Hassani Dotson. That tells you he something. Took, he took this free kick. And you ripped it right off the post, but it was like in the perfect spot. Like it's literally a foot lower and it's a goal. And like not expecting it. Renoso's lining up over the ball. Like I 100% expect Renoso to take it. But the, I mean, so this guy, like he plays really good defense. He's tall. So he's great for like defending free kicks and also just like playing like headers in the midfield. He can take free kicks on the attacking side. And he's just, he's got energy. Like, he's all over the field. Like, I just want to know, like, where's this guy been? Like, he's still, he's still very raw. Don't get me wrong. He's not like the perfect player by no means. He's got a lot, a lot of growing to do, but it's like, there's all, I, I see a lot of potential in this guy and who he could become. I mean, he's got, he needs to put in the work, but it's like, why has he been in Honduras for, you know, I know he's only 24, but as long as he has been. Well, I think that's one of the things that the MLS can do. Like South America is is um, you know, recruited. You can be a third division player from Peru and the teams in Brazil and Argentina know exactly who you are. I wonder if one of the inefficiencies in terms of western hemisphere soccer is Central America and maybe even the, the you know, the Caribbean islands. Like mm -hmm. re recruit, like the way baseball has done, like, like 
because I think that the Caribbean islands look much more more towards North America than they do South America, which speaks to our ability to recruit, you know, and develop baseball talent from those regions. And so I wonder yeah. if soccer continues to gain more of a hold in the United States and, and hell Canada. And if, you know, mm. if Canada and Mexico and the United States are representing in the world cup, that's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, I think like that there's some, I just, I don't know if there's the same number of eyes in places like Honduras and Costa Rica and Panama um, or Nicaragua that maybe you could have. And there's got to be talent there because you know, the kids yeah. are playing soccer because it's the number one sport in the world. And it's the number one sport in Central America. So um, we talked about whether or not we can score enough. We talked about Heath continuing to build a strong defense. We talked about a midfield that we believe in. Um, a couple of goalkeepers that we feel good about. Mm-hmm. The missing piece last year was the wonder wall for me because <laughs> it's back. So the wonder wall is back. You've been to a couple of games. What does that mean, Isaac? Oh man, it's 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 electric. It's live. Like it just I I like I feel like the players have to feel it. The crowd feels it. The crowd's in it. Um, we have like the leaders. You know, we have like the three spots in front of the wonder wall actually leading the wonder wall. They're full. They got people. You know completely yelling at us to get us going the smoke's back so let's go sorry for tv broadcast that can't see the field clearly that's like one of the best parts of the game is that smoke and maybe not a great part for viewing wise in the wonder wall but the flags are back giant flags and just multiple flags it's it's full it's beautiful it's powerful we just sang wonder wall this last time against san jose it's it's great because I don't I don't even know what else to say. But I, I, here's the thing, you know, I, we were in the Wonderwall last year, which was, was like June twenty was June twenty third, I believe, was the return from COVID, first game in over a year, a thirteen or fifteen months, and the Wonderwall was mostly full of fans, but they had like one or two cheerleaders. There were no flags. The chanting just felt dead most of the time. There was no smoke. Mm-hmm. That San Jose game, I couldn't attend because I think I was at the Wolves game earlier that afternoon. Yeah. Um, and, but I got home and I watched the second half of it, and you could—it was palpable. You could feel the wonder wall on the TV broadcast, not just when we scored our long goal, goal, <coughs> excuse me, but the chanting throughout the game, the singing, and how the wonder wall really is the igniter for the entire crowd there. And so, mm-hmm. if we want to have home field advantage. The Wonder Wall's got to be clicking on five cylinders. And from what you said, it has been. And I'm looking forward to getting back to the Allianz field and participating in that because that's one of the best fan experiences in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mm. Amen. And she's back. So, all right. Let's 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 uh finish it up here, Isaac. We've got we're four games in. Um, we've made the playoffs the last three years. Been knocked out in the first round twice. Um, what does this team need to do? Just two or three things that could really be difference makers in terms of us contending again again for for the conference title. Yeah, I mean finishing is going to be the first thing. Uh, just watching the the first four games, like the opportunities are there, the finishing is not. So yeah, we've won two games, but if we finish better, like maybe we're undefeated right now, which you know we're not going to go undefeated all season. 
but that's going to be the main thing, whether Amarillo is the right guy, whether Lude and Lude, Lode, Lod, and uh, Fragapane and uh, Reynoso have, you know, the right connection and they keep building that and getting that chemistry. And then I think just like, like staying healthy and keeping the defensive unit together. Um, we've already seen it a little bit to start the season that like we have new guys stepping up or maybe old guys playing new positions and they're able to make it work so far. But is that something we can carry on? And like, are we too thin at the defensive position that if we have another injury, like, are we kind of screwed? So, um, throwing up that defense and just making sure that our goalies don't have to make all the plays. Well, it sounds to me like the loons are in contention again. We've got a couple of holes to fill, and yeah. we've got a coach that seems to be building a resume a la Mike Zimmer. <laughs> well, don't say that. He's bound to get fired then, right? <laughs> Eight years in. That's a good run as a coach. So it's been nice talking to you, Isaac, you know, a little bit about the signings in town, the Timberwolves on a hot streak, and, you know, the, the beginning to the Minnesota United season. You want to take us out, as you always do? Yeah, because it's always good. It's always good. We got to do this a bit more, though, huh? Um, let's, Amen. Let's keep, the, let's keep the signings coming in Minnesota. Let's keep the buzz going. Come on, Wolves and Wild. And uh, thank you guys for listening, and stay safe out there. <laughs>